Hey friends, if you struggle to find time to read the Bible, or maybe like me, you do devotions in the morning, but then you could use a little more scripture in your day, I want to make sure you know about the Dwell Bible app. What makes Dwell so special is that they read the Bible to you, and you can choose from all different books of the Bible, different plans. They even have Dwell Daily, which is a daily devotional. And what really sets Dwell apart is that they have a variety of voices. You can have read the Bible to you. Over time, I've listened to Rosie the most. She is soft and relaxed and makes you feel like you're sitting by a fireside being read to. I also love Amber's voice. It's comforting and eloquent. So good. And then you can also choose what you want in the background, whether it's music or white noise. I love hearing the piano being played while I listen to the Bible being read to me. Pretty special. Dwell has something for everyone, men, women, and even children. So go over to dwellbible.com forward slash Monica Swanson to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash Monica Swanson for your 25% discount. I know you're going to love it, so check it out. Let me know what you think. Christian Parenting Aloha friends, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast, powered by Christian Parenting. I am Monica Swanson, mom to four boys, podcast host and author of Boy Mom, What Your Son Needs Most From You. Here on the podcast, it's my goal to bring you practical advice and biblical wisdom for raising boys in this sometimes crazy world. You can always find show notes over at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. I'm so glad you're here. that truth can be known and proclaimed by people, especially when it comes to categories of religion and morality. So when it comes to religion and morality, our culture has adopted the whole, you know, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me thing. And the reason that can't work for Christians is because Christianity is deeply rooted in objective truth. It makes exclusively objectively truthful claims about itself. Jesus came out of the grave or he didn't. He is the only way to the Father or he's not. Heaven and hell exist or they don't. And these are very objective truth categories. And so our culture has adopted this idea that that stuff can't be known. So when Christians come around claiming to know what it is, they're very suspicious of why you might claim to know what it is. And so it's it's like in the past, I think that we had to maybe share the gospel with people who already believed truth was out there. But now we got to back up a step and just convince people the truth is out there. And that's kind of where the whole live your truth lie comes from. Hey friends, welcome back to the Boy Mom podcast. I'm so glad to hang out with you today, and I'm so excited to share this episode because this topic is so near to my heart. Now, you were just listening to a short clip from Elisa Childers, who uh, some of you may know from the band Zoe Girl. Anybody go back to Zoe Girl days? She was a had a huge musical career, and now she is an incredible um, writer, speaker, and she has such a gift of communicating truth from God's Word in a way that counters the cultural messages around us. I'm like a huge fan of everything she does. If you're not following her on social media, I'm going to put links to her books and all the places you can follow her in show notes. 
But I was so excited to get to talk to her because her books have really made an impact on me, especially as a mom who you've heard me say many times, sending kids away to college in the world we live in today. It's a scary feeling when you've raised them in a Christian home and you want so much to see them grow up to be men of God, but you know that there's not only messages coming from the world, but even from within the church, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of different messages out there. Elisa does a great job of breaking things down, confronting the cultural messages with God's word, the truth. And so, wow, she's got a whole lot of good stuff to share with all of you today. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I do want to remind you that this Friday, the 21st of October, we're opening the doors to the character training course. They will just be open for one week. And then I'm not sure if I'm going to open them again next spring or wait till summer. But if you've been putting this off, if the character training course is something you've thought about, but you always just wait till next time, I'm just going to encourage you to take the leap. Uh, you can go through it at your own pace. So you don't have to start it right away, but maybe over time this winter, it's something you could do a little here and a little there. You can grab the um, parts of the course that are most relevant to the stage that you're walking through, but um, I hope you don't miss it. There will be a link in show notes to the course page, but if you want to go there now, it is monicaswanson.com forward slash character dash course. Check out everything that's in there and all of the great guest interviews and downloads and resources and lists. You guys, it's packed and we'll be adding more to it over time, so I don't want you to miss it. One more thing, I will add over in show notes a link to a podcast episode I did that shared some short clips from the different interviews that are inside the character training course. That'll give you a good feel for what's in there. So be sure to check show notes to get that link as well. Okay. Now I don't want to waste any more time. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. So I will say a big thank you for showing up last week. My Q and a episode with some big announcements in it. You guys are awesome. Your feedback was so kind and gracious, and I'm just so excited to move into the, this later fall and winter season when so many big things are going to come out. And just to get to do it all with you means the world to me. So thank you for your support and encouragement. I truly want to serve you well. I want to encourage you. I want to help you build your families and raise amazing kids. So always more in show notes. Please do take time to go over there. Please continue to share this podcast with your friends and uh, just continue to spread the word through ratings and reviews. If you have not subscribed, you simply hit that little plus sign on your podcast app, and that means you automatically get this podcast uh, downloaded right onto your phone every week so you don't have to go looking for it. All right, friends, gear up, get your tennis shoes on, or put your earbuds in or whatever you might be doing. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's Elisa Childers and I talking about cultural lies and God's truth and how we can prepare our kids to face it all. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Elisa, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast. So great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I have been so excited to talk to you. I've become quite a fan of yours after reading your two books. So I know this is going to be a favorite conversation of mine. But before we dive in, can you just introduce yourself, tell people a little about what you do and who you are? Okay, so this is like the introduction is always hard because I do so many different things. But I um, essentially, I just run an apologetics blog and a podcast that was really born out of a faith crisis I had myself 
and looking for my own answers to figure out what Christianity is. Is it true? Is it line up with reality? And so along that journey, uh, the Lord led me to write books and start a podcast and all that. So all those links and everything can be found at elisachilders.com. Awesome. And your mom, tell us maybe a little bit about just the ages of your kids, where where you live and kind of that part of your life before we dive yeah. into the other stuff. Well, we live in Middle Tennessee, kind of in the Nashville area, a little bit outside of Nashville. And so I have a total of four kids. So I have two older stepkids that one is married. So actually I have a grandson now. His name's Bo and I have a little grandbaby. So that's exciting. So uh, my my stepdaughter, Michael, is 27. My uh, stepson, Wyatt, is 24. And then I have two biologicals, a little girl named Dylan, who's 13, and a boy named Aiden, who is 11. So we live, yeah, like I said, Middle Tennessee area. And I'm married to Mike. And he is formerly a drummer and a road manager, but now he's full-time working with this ministry and booking and doing post-production for the YouTube channel, all that. So it's kind of all in-house now, which is great. Awesome. How fun. I love that. Now I would like to dive into just kind of the story of how you ended up writing books. If you can just give us some of the, the background of your personal journey and how we got to where you are today. Well, as I mentioned, I went through a faith crisis and that was really as a result of attending a church. Uh, you know, I think we've all heard a similar story of a kid going off to college and losing their faith after they encounter the claims of a atheist philosophy professor or maybe taking an evolutionary biology class or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, something very similar kind of happened to me, but it wasn't in a college classroom. It was actually facilitated within the pews of a church. And it was a church that was would eventually go on to identify themselves as a progressive Christian community. But at the time, they were just evangelical, non-denominational. And I was invited to be a part of an inner circle study and discussion group with the pastor. And it was in this class that Virtually everything that I'd ever held precious, my beliefs about God and Jesus and the Bible, they were deconstructed, they were explained away, they were rejected. And so after we left the church, all of those doubts just kind of lingered and they stayed and actually kind of took root and grew in my own heart. And that's when I was Mm. propelled into my own faith crisis. And that's when I was just really looking for answers like, is this true? Is God real? Is, Is the Bible his word? All of these questions. And so after years of studying... Uh, the Lord led me to start a blog that, you know, I was just at the time doing basic apologetics articles, trying to help other people. But then around 2017, I had a, an article go viral. And it was an article where I had reviewed a progressive Christian book. And it was at that point that publishing uh, companies started calling, agents started calling. And so it was kind of clear to me that maybe the Lord was opening the door to write a book. And so that's when I decided to write my book, Another Gospel, which led to the second book called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And so I've been really blessed to be able to help other people, maybe who are struggling with some of the same things, or maybe have friends and loved ones who are going through similar things. I love all that. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about the heart of your first book, Another Gospel, and then that'll lead us to your most recent book? So another gospel is sort of like, I, I, I call it a theological memoir. So it is a memoir primarily in that it's the story of my life. It's the story of me walking through this faith crisis. But along the way, I interact with and engage with the claims of progressive Christianity. And the reason that was so important to me in the book is because the church where this faith crisis was facilitated, like I mentioned, went on to identify themselves as a progressive Christian community. And so I wanted to know more about this movement that sounded so much like atheists, 
but yet were calling themselves Christians. Mm. And so I, I really began to mm. research their books and listen to their podcasts and blog posts. And uh, it was really at the end of that where I thought, you know, I want to give the church a resource that will give language to maybe some of the red flags they see online, on their social media platforms, maybe even in their churches or in Christian books that they're reading and Bible studies. Because a lot of these ideas are really intertwined with uh, just traditional Christian materials. And so the book is sort of like a memoir walking you through that journey, but engaging with the in, the claims of progressive Christianity along the way. And then Live Your Truth and Other Lies is similar in the sense that it's very memoirish. So there's a lot of story, a lot of humor, a lot of background uh, from my childhood and things. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's encountering some of these claims, but we've swung a little broader this time to engage with mm -hmm. some of the claims that we see overlapping between the progressive Christian community and culture. So some of these slogans that are just really me-centered, self-focused, you know, live your truth, mm -hmm. you are enough, authenticity is everything, God just wants you to be happy. Like these are the cultural slogans that we see being imported into the church, mm -hmm. largely through progressive Christian authors and speakers, but it's um, very persuasive to people because, I mean, who doesn't want to be told you're perfect just as you are, right? Sounds so good. Okay, well, I get super excited about this because I just find more and more as I'm writing and interacting with parents, this is the stuff we need to be equipped with. I just feel so strongly that that our kids are just going to be swept, you know, down this current of culture if we are not really on our game. Um, I love that you say here, just I think in your very first chapter, you say, reader, I'm going to make a bold claim. I think that ditching the jargon and clinging to the timeless truths of the Bible is the most freeing and stabilizing thing we can do. And throughout the book, I mean, I've highlighted this book more than most by far, because there's so many things you say that are just like, she's saying what needs to be said. And so parents, I just am going to encourage parents to get your hands. Both books are awesome. Um, today I'm drawing from the Live Your Truth and Other Lies, which by the way, as, as soon as I saw that title, I was like, I love her <laughs> because it's just like the best title for a book. Titles are hard. Yeah. I'm just, you know, working on my next book and I'm telling you, titles are tough and Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Amen and amen. So, um, and subtitle here, exposing popular deceptions that make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. So good. So I, I was a fan before I opened the book. But, um, but before we dive in, just a little bit more about you, because you are so interesting, and there is a lot about you. Uh, you were raised in a Christian home, mm -hmm. and then you were a part of a pretty big band. Tell us, tell us that part of the story. We got to get that in there. It may not be the biggest part of this book, but we need to hear that part too. Well, yeah, that is a huge part of my story because I'm not naturally an intellectual. I'm not naturally, you know, in reading 4,000, you know, page scholarly volumes. That's not my nature. I just not that way. But, uh, so yeah, so my background is music. I've always been a flaky artist. I spent a close to a decade apart as a part of the contemporary Christian group Zoe Girl, which some of your listeners and viewers may remember uh, back in the late 90s. Well, we started in 1999 and we went until about 2007 or eight. 
And so during that time, we were really focused on young girls, teenage girls. We sang a lot of issue-oriented songs that young Christian girls were going through, toured with people like Toby Mac and the Newsboys and Carmen, and uh, just a really whirlwind experience for those several years and great experience. Um, but yeah, but this whole, what's interesting about my story is that the faith crisis didn't happen until after all of that. Um, now, I guess right. that's actually, to come to think of it, not that unusual because we do see so many deconstruction stories coming from the contemporary Christian music industry. Um, I think I'm one of mm. maybe one of the rare ones who didn't lose their faith or walk away from the historic mm -hmm. faith. But, um, but yeah, that's a huge part of my background. Yeah. And are you doing any music now? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I have been <sighs> writing music all these. I've never stopped. Right. And for about mm. 10 years, about 10 years up until COVID, I was leading worship at a church. I was uh, part of a, with the, it was a model where there were five or six of us that would go up and take turns leading worship over the weekend services. And so I did that for about 10 years until COVID hit. So I haven't really done a lot publicly since COVID, but I'm always writing and mm. I'm always praying like, Lord, is there a door open for some of this? And, mm. you know, I'm just kind of waiting and seeing, but I, I do have some songs in my pocket that maybe, maybe I'll unleash mm. on the world at some point. I love it. Well, I just love, <clears throat> I just love your story. I love that God doesn't, doesn't always pick the people we would expect him to, to have a message like what you have. And I think that just shows that this is God doing the work and calling you. And so uh, let's dive in. I just would love to encourage listeners uh, with with what you've put so much work into. You're, you are hilarious. Your writing is so great and relatable that I just had a lot of fun reading your books. I think it's just important that we equip parents. I think a lot of us have been somewhat caught off guard. Like for me as a mom, my oldest, you know, is now 23 years old and, and we've raised him thankfully in the word. He knows what he believes. Um, he made it through college without deconstructing his faith. <laughs> my second son is halfway through. Uh, but I think that, like you said, so many of the slogans, so many of the cultural messages do sound so good. It's so easy to just pick up on things without realizing it, and our kids are picking up on these messages as well. So you've got a lot of good stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you to just maybe say a few words about, uh, we'll see how many topics we can get through here, um, and then people are going to need to just get their hands on the book. The important thing here is that as we understand and articulate the lies circulating in our culture, just that we can then, that we're then equipped to raise our kids to defend their faith, to know what they believe, um, and, and to know why they believe it, you know, if they're going to choose this for themselves, right? So can we start with Live Your Truth, since that's on the cover of the book? Let's, let's talk about that cultural message and why, as Christians, we don't want to buy into that. Yeah, that's the big one, right? I think that's kind of the foundation for all the others. And it's really reflective of our mm -hmm. culture's rejection of the idea that absolute truth exists, or at least it can be known. Mm -hmm. So what I try to explain to people is that the culture we're living in basically has rejected the idea that truth can be known and proclaimed by people, especially when it comes to categories of religion and morality. So when it comes to religion and morality, our culture has adopted the whole, you know, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me mm -hmm. thing. And the reason that can't work for Christians is because Christianity is deeply rooted in objective truth. It makes exclusively objectively truthful claims about itself. Jesus came out of the grave or he didn't. He is the only way to the Father or he's not. Heaven and hell exist or they don't. And these are very objective truth categories. And so our culture has adopted this idea 
that that stuff can't be known. So when Christians come around claiming to know what it is, they're very suspicious of why you might claim to know what it is. And so it's it's like in the past, mm-hmm. I think that we had to maybe share the gospel with people who already believed truth was out there. But now we got to back up a yes. step and just convince people the truth is out there. And that's kind of where the whole live your truth yeah. lie comes from. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that really does add a, a big step, a big obstacle to communicating the gospel message. So I, I think that's probably the biggest one of all. Okay, how about are you enough? Yeah, so this is one I always tell people, I make a disclaimer, like, look, if you have an I am enough tattoo, don't be offended. Don't don't stomp away angry. Look, we've all we've all clicked like and share on some of these things. And partially some of these slogans are kind of neutral, where yes. if you filter them through a biblical worldview, they make yes. sense, right? And if you don't, so that's why I don't want anybody to stomp away angry because I'm saying that's a cultural lie. But where the lie is is what culture means by that. So mm-hmm. when we think about Culture is telling you, you are perfect just as you are. All you need to do is dig down inside yourself and just unleash whatever you find down there. And that's what's going to make everything great in your life. There's nothing that's broken. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. You're not inherently sinful. This is the message from culture, right? But as Christians, we know that we are sinners. We're inherently sinful. There is something that's broken. There is something that needs redemption, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be cured. And so ultimately... Um, we know that we're not enough. We we need something outside of ourselves mm. to facilitate that wholeness. And that's Jesus and his what he accomplished on the cross. And so what I talk about in the book is that if we just use that word righteousness, right? It's like Jesus uh, lived that perfectly sinless life that none of us could have lived for ourselves, took our sins upon himself, made that final sacrifice so that all who trust in him can be with him forever. And so then the Bible talks about his righteousness being imputed to us. So really it's his enoughness, right? Mm -hmm. He is enough. And so Jesus' enoughness gets put on us so that when Mm -hmm. the Father looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner anymore, but he sees the enoughness of Christ. And so uh, I try to help readers kind of frame it more that way, where it's like, you're really not enough just by yourself, but but Christ is, and he's better than you'll ever be anyway. So that's even better news than saying you're enough because he's enough. So good. And and such a simple shift, but one that we can't reiterate enough to our kids just to understand that. It's not saying, yeah, and yes, you are enough, but you're enough in Christ. So that's a big, a big and important shift. I love it. Okay. Well, we definitely live in a selfie generation. It's all about the self. Put yourself first. I mean, I've even said before, you know, I, I get the whole put on your oxygen mask first. I understand that. But where's the lie in this one? Hmm. So I tell a story in the book about going to see the movie Armageddon, where it's if you haven't seen it, you know, it's an old movie, but they basically see that this asteroid's coming to destroy the earth and they have just a limited amount of time to come up with a plan. So they say, well, we're going to send these astronauts and they're going to try to to blow it up before it gets to the earth, basically. And so it's Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and all these people. And so as the asteroid is coming, they they go off on their mission and all this, you know, dramatic stuff happens. But ultimately, at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to stay and blow the thing up manually. And so ultimately, they're going to give their lives. Right. And so they draw straws. Ben Affleck gets chosen. But, you know, Bruce Willis says, no, I'm going to do it instead. So he goes down there with him and he shoves him back up into the thing so that he'll be the one to sacrifice his life. And it's super dramatic and everybody loved it. Well, why did everybody love it? Because deep down, all of us know 
that putting yourself first is not noble. We all know that inherently. Like we don't even necessarily need a Bible to tell us that. That's why we pay we pay so many millions of dollars to go watch that in movie theaters. We pay millions of dollars to watch Iron Man give his life for the universe to save the world. We love that story because deep down we know that we were not created to put ourselves first. And when we do, what that creates is a very selfish um even wicked person Mm -hmm. who puts themselves first. We know this. And then, of course, the Bible does teach that. And so um, I use that story to kind of illustrate just at the most common sense level how this Mm -hmm. fails. And But this is the message we see everywhere. You should put yourself first. You should be the hero of your own story. You need to Mm -hmm. satisfy all of your own needs before you'll be equipped to satisfy the needs of others. The problem is we'll never be able to satisfy all of our own needs. So what it does is it creates this inherent selfishness in everybody to just try to be the best version of you, totally focused on yourself and not really focused on the people around you. Whereas biblically, it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. You know, we put others first. The first will be last. When we serve others, that's when we, the Bible says, he who refreshes other, others will himself mm-hmm. be refreshed. So we know that we get that filling and that refreshing by following the example of Christ in humility to put others first. But sadly, and it just boggles my mind that in our culture, this has become not a virtue to put others first, but actually you're viewed as kind of a weak person. You're viewed as somebody mm-hmm. who's just a pushover or a doormat. But um, but biblically speaking, it's a beautiful thing to lay your life down for others. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Bible describes that's what love is, is someone mm-hmm. who lays down their life for their friends. And Jesus modeled that better than anyone. So um, that's just one of the lies we encounter in the book. Yes, absolutely. So good. And this leads us to another one that I think is super important, and it is the whole conversation of authenticity and how the generation growing up right now places such a high value on authenticity and how we can help our kids to understand that that may not be the most important thing. What is the shift there? Yeah, and I that I worded that one carefully on purpose. Yes. I didn't say authenticity is bad or authenticity right. is wrong, yes. but it's not the highest virtue. And that's the thing that we have to counter in culture. Mm. Um, because if we look at how authenticity is classically defined, it means to be genuine. I think that's great. I think Christians could use a lot more of that. None of us mm-hmm. should show up to church on Sunday and yes. fake it and you know put on a fake smile. We need to be doing life together in authentic community, confessing our sins to each other, Mm -hmm. holding each other accountable, being honest if we're having a rough day, holding each other up, praying for each other, all that good stuff. But the problem is that's not how our culture defines authenticity. Our culture has Mm -hmm. this idea that we start with this, like we're perfect just as we are, right? Which is also Mm -hmm. a lie we'll probably talk about. But it sort of starts with that foundation. So being authentic to the world is, is being you know, going down inside of yourself and just letting out whatever's in there and living that out without apology. So there's no sense in which anything needs to change or be repented for or um, turned away from, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the way the world defines authenticity. Whereas a biblical view of that is to be honest and to be real, Mm -hmm. but also to recognize that you are fallen and there are things about you that you need to repent for. There are things you need to turn from and you need to uh, renounce and reject as a way of life. And so um, just sort of even just defining the words can sometimes help untangle the lies because when the world is talking about authenticity, they're just talking about living out whatever you find in your heart. 
And as we know, if we do that without being discerning and without realizing that there are things we might want to change, we could end up really hurting other people as well. So it's just sort of like, yeah, that be your true authentic self is the big message in the world. But ultimately, Jesus said, you're not supposed to find your true authentic self. He said, you're supposed to deny yourself. Mm. So we're actually called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And again, that's just a radically countercultural message. Oh, you are so right. I feel like I've heard that come up so much more recently. Um, Okay, but now moving along, we just don't have time to cover everything, but I'd love to camp out for a moment on the the message that God wants us to be happy and some of the ways we can respond to that. And especially as far as teenagers go, a certain study that you cite about teenagers' belief systems and some of the things that the average teenager has in common and what are the implications of that study? Yeah, so this the study you're referencing was they interviewed the average American teenager. These are not exclusively Christian kids, just the mm-hmm. average American teenage person yeah. about their spiritual beliefs. And ultimately what they discovered is that the average American teenager believed that God was really kind of like this distant figure kind of off in the sky and distant in the sense that he's not going to tell you what to do with your body. He's not going to tell you who you can or can't sleep with. He's not going to bother you with all that stuff, but he generally wants you to be nice and he wants you to be good and he wants you to be happy. Mm. And so he's kind of like this giant therapist in the sky that'll leave (laughs) you alone unless he needs something. And if you need something, you can pray and he'll help you and all of that. So the the term moralistic therapeutic deism Mm. was coined from that study. So of course, moralism being the be good part, the therapeutic being, you know, he's going to leave you alone unless he needs something and he'll be there and help you with your problems. And then deism is a view of the nature of God that kind of treats God as somebody who created the universe and then stepped away from it. A much mm-hmm. kind of like if you make a watch and you wind up the watch and then you just let the watch wind down, but you're not actively involved in the daily outworking. So that's deism. So it's sort of this moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, flash forward all these years later, these kids are adults now. And so we have, um, I think this is radically seeped into the church. This is an idea that a lot of church kids buy into. This is something that is very popular, even in a lot of youth groups and churches where people think, well, God just wants me to be happy. And if I'm happy, Mm. if I've expressed my truest authentic self, and that's what makes me happy, then God's okay with it. Because Mm. God would certainly never want me to be in an uncomfortable place, or he would never want me to be in a situation where I would have to actually change something about myself or reject something about myself. And so again, but it's really built on this idea that you're perfect just as you are, right? It's, I I think all of these lives really come down to how you answer the question, are you a sinner or are you not? Because if you're not a sinner, if we are inherently good, Mm. then I would agree with what everybody's saying. Just dig down and, you know, make your contribution to the world of the goodness that's inside of you. I would certainly agree. But knowing that we have that inherent sinfulness, that changes the whole game. Mm -hmm. Because then we know, actually, we don't always know what's best for ourselves. We don't always Mm -hmm. know what's best for other people. This is why we need the revelation of God. We need his revealed word. We need to submit ourselves to the authority of his word so that we can be changed more and more into his image day by day, Mm -hmm. rather than becoming our truest, authentic self day by day. 
Awesome. So well said. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe getting practical since you're a mom, um, can you give us just some wisdom, some of the ways you practically approach this topic, even, um, with your own children or how we might talk to our kids about this in a way that makes sense to them? Hmm. I think as a parent, it's incredibly important to have lots of open conversations with your kids about these lies, not just the happiness one, but all of them, because it's, uh, it's the kind of thing where like we, we started really early, even talking to our kids about sexuality, like Mm -hmm. what, what these concepts are that they're encountering in culture. And it's well established that if you're the one who introduces a topic to your kid, you're kind of viewed as the expert. Mm-hmm. And and the kid will come back with, and I found that to be true. So particularly with the God just wants me to be happy thing, I think this is really important. Um, you know, a few about a couple of weeks ago, I polled a group of Christian parents in a Facebook group because I was writing an article, and I just wanted to get some perspectives. Like, what's the hardest thing about raising kids? What are the biggest lies they're buying into? And a really interesting comment was made by a woman who's a college professor. And she said, I'm not a mom, but I have all these kids that are kind of growing up with this moralistic therapeutic deism idea, essentially. And she said, the problem is that, you know, a lot of people call them, you know, um, what do we call them? Snowflakes. And, you know, we should act like they're so fragile. But she said they really are emotionally fragile. And the reason they're emotionally fragile Mm -hmm. is because they're never taught to have to do anything but validate what they feel. Mm-hmm. So they're never, they're, they're saved from any sort of uncomfortable or stressful situation. In fact, she said in the college that she worked at, if they feel traumatized by a test, they don't have to take the test. In oh fact, goodness. they can go to a safe room. They, yes, kidding. they can go to a safe room where they will be affirmed and they will get counseling and they don't have to take the test. And she said, the problem is, is that it's not just a pejorative or some sort of a rhetorical thing to say snowflake. She said they're legitimately emotionally fragile because they've never had anything but their feelings validated. And she said that's the biggest problem. And I thought that was very insightful because I think for our kids, allowing them to walk through stressful situations, allowing them to encounter some suffering, allowing them, you know, not rescuing them out Mm -hmm. of all of the difficult things that they have to go through is going to be hugely foundational for even their emotional stability going forward, but also to be able to engage with a lot of these lies. Oh, this is all so interesting. So maybe we can keep going a little bit more on this topic of parenting uh, and offering a little more encouragement to us parents who are trying to help our kids through this. First of all, remind me, do you, what is your kid's school situation? Do you homeschool or are they in a traditional school setting? So we are first year homeschoolers this year. All right. Yeah. So we did, we've done all of it. Now we've done all of it. We did public <laughs> school. We've done private school, Christian school. Now we're homeschooling. Right. So it's it's very interesting. Um, yeah, we're, we're in it this year. <laughs> so I think that for, I, now I'm very excited about it. I was really mm-hmm. intimidated by homeschooling for many years. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. after I sort of waded through the initial confusion of the whole thing, it got mm-hmm. really fun. Yeah. You know, where I get to choose their literature books. I get mm-hmm. to choose what, you know, my I'm having both my kids do a critical thinking class. Mm-hmm. My daughter's going through logical fallacies and learning how to spot them. And she wouldn't have gotten that in any other scenario. Mm-hmm. So very excited about that. I think it's a great option for us. But we really did that because we were seeing so much, even in this wonderful little Christian school we've had the kids in for so long, the influences. It's such a tsunami of deception that it's, it's just, it's mm. at the point where we just thought we, we need a little more sheltering, you know, and I think everybody has to figure out like, you know, you shelter mm-hmm. a little bit, then you let you expose, but we're exposing our kids to, um, these, these lies 
but we're going to be discipling them and what they look like and where they're manifesting. And so that's kind of how we're approaching things, but that's, yeah, that's what we're doing. Awesome. Good, good job. And maybe you have some recommendations that we could get from you to put in show notes for any, any like books or curriculum worldview kind of stuff. You mentioned critical thinking. Is that something you've done some research on that we could pick your brain a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, it, it, if it's a good logical, critical thinking curriculum, it mm. doesn't even have to be a Christian curriculum, yes. just good, solid, logical thinking. So what I'm doing with my daughter is she's going through the, it's called the fallacy detective yeah, it's so good. and they have, they have a them. workbook. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it great? Yes. Yeah. And so you just, you learn to spot those fallacies. And then my son is doing one that I highly recommend. It's called foundation worldview mm. curriculum. And the main person behind that is Elizabeth Urbanowitz. And she's been on my podcast before. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're going through the comparative religion worldviews, which also covers a lot of critical thinking and logical fallacies for him. So I think critical thinking is hugely important. I would really urge all parents, if you just give your kids, if they can do math, if they can read, if they can think critically and they know the Bible, I think that's a huge gift we're giving them to be able to encounter the world around them. Absolutely. And I I love that well, first of all, I love that you mentioned Foundations Worldview because as we're recording, it is end of summer and I have narrowed down a worldview curriculum for my son to two and that's one of them. So you just helped push me over the edge. Now I know what I'm going to order. Yay. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That it's was good. That was it's one good. of them. Yeah. So I was trying to decide. So that helps me make my decision. But here's the thing. Even if your kids go to school, you can take them through a worldview curriculum. You can get That's a right. book on critical thinking. This isn't something that has to be, uh, you know, just for homeschoolers. Anybody can do this. Um, and more important now than ever, just every year, it's getting a little crazier out there. I'm so excited. This this book is awesome. Any final words of encouragement for the moms listening who are overwhelmed? Maybe their kids are in school. Maybe they're already starting to believe some lies. What can you, what can you tell moms? that are listening to just give them a boost. Well, here's my encouragement to moms. I think that my particular generation, I'm Gen X. Okay. So, and I know that right now people that are parenting Gen Z are going to be Gen X and millennials. Mm -hmm. Right. So my encouragement to all of us who are raising and even grandparents that are raising kids, I think that I, what I've observed with a lot of Christian parents is that we're a little timid to, we don't want to come on too strong because we're afraid, oh, my kid's going to think we're legalistic or too sheltered and they're going to deconstruct from that. You know what? They might, they might, but here's the deal. The tsunami of lies is so big that you should never apologize for teaching your kids the truth. Put it in your mind right now. Christianity is objectively true. It's as true as mathematics. And it's your job to teach your kids mathematics. If you don't teach your kids mathematics, I mean, they can always deconstruct from mathematics and decide that that's a, you know, a Western white supremacist ordeal. They can, they can, but it's still your job to teach them what the truth is with mathematics. So approach Christianity the same way. You teach them what the truth is. They're they're free will creatures. They're going to make their choices. But ultimately, um, to encourage you, there have been studies done on, you know, we all know the stories of kids, 75% that are leaving Mm -hmm. the church after high school. But there's also 25% who stay. And they did a study on those. And there were different factors that were consistent in the homes where the kids actually did not leave the church. And there were very simple things like family dinners, um, one genuine faith person in the child's life 
at least one outside of church spiritual experience that the family would have together, whether that's a devotional time, a time reading the Bible, a time praying. Um, so ultimately what that tells me is that the families that were able to keep the kids in the church were not legalistic. They lived it out in front of their kids. They weren't just Sunday Christians. And and they, they were just the real thing. So you know what? It's not a lot of pressure. Be the real thing. Show them the beauty of the Christian worldview. Teach it unapologetically. And don't be legalistic. I think that's a great combination for parents. Yes. Awesome. So well said. Elisa, thank you so much. Just such a, a blessing to meet you and so excited about your book. If people want to track you down, and you said at the beginning where they can find you, but tell us one more time where they can find and follow you. Thanks for that. Yeah, so uh, YouTube, Elisa Childers, Instagram and Facebook, at Elisa Childers. Uh, there's the Elisa Childers podcast where we talk about these issues all the time. But ultimately, all the links for all that stuff can be found at elisachilders.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks. How about that, you guys? Isn't she incredible? You're going to love her writing. She's a really good communicator. So I'll be linking to her books and all the places you can follow Elisa over in show notes, which you can find at monicaswanson.com forward slash episode dash 180. Yay. Thank you for being here. Thanks for spreading the word about this podcast with your friends. Thanks for your ratings and reviews. Here's a reminder, if you haven't left one yet, those are super helpful. So if you just scroll down in your podcast app, see those five stars, you can tap on them. And you can also leave a few words about what you love most about the Boy Mom Podcast. Thanks guys so much. Keep your eyes open for this Friday when the character training course is opening its doors. Be the first to get in there. And uh, I can't wait to share it with all of you. So thanks for being here. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And until next time, aloha. Aloha.